So, in a couple of days' time, we're into December, but this morning is the last in our Everyone Everywhere series where we've been thinking about what does it mean for us to be God's scattered people in the world. And, uh, and if you're watching this morning and you're not sure about this God stuff, then I want to passionately and boldly say to you today that Jesus Christ is for everyone everywhere, and that includes you. That absolutely includes you, that he alone can give us the life that we are searching for. And I realize that's a really big and bold claim to make. And you may not be sure. So just stay with me for the next four and a half hours. I just <laughs> share some thoughts. Just, just joking. Just joking. Relax, relax. And if you're watching this morning and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, then I want to passionately and boldly say to you that everyone everywhere, including you, including me, we are commanded, in fact, by Jesus to take his good news to everyone everywhere, to join in with what God is doing, seeing heaven break out, seeing the wrong things put right in the world right now, here and now in the world today. We are all called to this. Yeah. The problem is that when everybody thinks that somebody will do it, then nobody does it. Let me say that again. When everybody thinks that somebody else will do it, then nobody does it. And that's got to change because the stakes of this are really, really high, both now and for all eternity. Like this really, really matters. And so as we finish this series, how can we say yes to the everyone, everywhere challenge of God? How can we say yes to this? And I realize that maybe some of you are watching this and you're saying, Matt, like this is easy for you. You're kind of one of those gobby people. Like, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're happy to speak in here. But let me be honest, like this is hard for me, too. Like I don't find this easy. I remember some years ago um, flying up to Inverness to go and see my mentor, Pete Gilbert. Many of you will know him. And uh, and I was exercised by hearing some of these stories of, of Christians who, you know, they, they tell people about Jesus next to them on the on the plane or on the bus or in the bus shelter. And I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk about Jesus, even to a complete stranger. And so I find myself on a middle seat and there's a guy next to me and, uh, and we're, we're leaving Luton and we're heading up to, um, to Inverness. And, and he starts telling me uh, that uh, we get into a chat and he starts telling me that he's a professor and he uh, lectures around the country and he often does this trip and, uh, and he knows it really well. And so as we're looking out the window and he's on the window seat, he's telling me like this is this part of the country and it's beautiful. And it was a beautiful, clear day. And so the view was incredible, seeing hills and mountains and things. We uh, the various places that we flew and and all the while while he's speaking I'm thinking to myself how can I introduce something uh, a spiritual moment into this and, and suddenly I, I, I had this idea I thought I, I'm going to say to him as we're looking out the window and I'm peering over his shoulder I'm going to say to him it's hard to believe that there's not a God when you see something as beautiful as that and I thought, this is it. This is this is my moment. So he's talking and then there's little pauses and, and I'm leaning over his shoulder. And, and literally, the, I can't even get the words. Out. I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to get these words out. But eventually, with a bit of boldness and courage, as I'm looking over his shoulder, he's looking out. And I say to him, it's hard to believe that there isn't a God when you look at something as amazing as that. And he goes, hmm. <laughs> 
but that's all I had. So I, yeah. I didn't I didn't say anything else after that. It kind of went silent because <laughs> I hadn't thought about what I might say after that. And the conversation went dead. And I kind of sat back around and started to read because it's it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard. Listen, it's hard for me. It's hard for all of us. Yeah. But just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't do it True. because it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. And I want to share a story today from one of my favorite stories uh, in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. And it tells the story of what happened after Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven. What happened with his first followers? Uh, what did they get up to? And notice it's called the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. It's the book of action. It's mm -hmm. the it's the book of the family of God throwing themselves wholeheartedly and passionately into the mission of God. It mm -hmm. is the book of action. Because I'm afraid to say, in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, there is no such thing as a personal private faith. That just, I mean, we all need a personal faith for sure, but that personal faith was always supposed to be public. Right. right from Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, like over 3,000 or so years ago, and, and says to Abraham, you are gonna be the father of a nation, and that nation is gonna be a blessing to every nation. Your faith, your relationship is not supposed to be private it's supposed to be public we are called to a public faith and so in Acts chapter 17 we get this story of this guy called Paul uh, Paul uh, it features a lot in the book of Acts and he wrote a lot of the New Testament and he turns up in the city of Athens. I don't know if you've ever been to Athens. I've never been to Athens. I would like to go to Athens, particularly because of this story, because things that are referenced in this story are still in Athens today. This is this is a historical story that we're told. And in Acts chapter 17, you can read the whole story in, in uh, uh, 17 verses 16 to 34. Paul arrives for the first time in Athens. Like no one, no one has ever heard the story of Jesus mm. in Athens before. Like this is a moment. And Athens was the cultural, uh, the philosophical, the educational epicenter of Western Europe. This is this was the home of Socrates and and Plato and Aristotle. Like this was an amazing place to be. And and as we look at what happens in this story, because as he turns up for the first time into this city, by the end of verse thirty four, we will see that the first followers of Jesus in Athens. Uh, the first church in Athens is birthed at the end of this story. How did that happen? What did Paul do? Mm. And so I'm going to share with you five things, uh, very, very simple things that we see in Paul that I'm praying for myself and for Amy and yeah. for you and I today as we respond to this Everyone Everywhere Challenge. Are you ready? Like, get a, get a, get a pen. Get, get, I'm pumped. I am. Pumped I am punk too. Okay, this is good. This is good. I can't say this is good about my own preaching. No, I? Okay, did, I just did. I just did. Okay, I'm moving on, people. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Okay, first thing is this that we see in Paul. If you're going to be an everyone, everywhere person, then you've got to feel something. Write that down. You've got to feel something. Paul rocks up to Athens, and you see this in in uh, verse sixteen. He rocks up to Athens. And what he observes as he's walking around Athens is this is a city steeped in idol worship. There are idols and shrines and on every street corner, like they've got hundreds and hundreds of gods that they're worshipping, giving sacrifices to. And, and when he sees all this, Paul has this 
guttural emotional reaction to it like he is heartbroken he is grief stricken it's almost like like he wants to get on his knees and fall sobbing over it why is that because he sees a whole city of people who are looking for life they are looking for god but in all the wrong places and he is absolutely gutted he knows that they're searching for something but he knows they're never going to find it in a wooden idol or some kind of graven image or a pagan shrine and and he is gutted mm -hmm. to the very core of his being like if if paul was propelled two thousand years to now and i would suggest if he even spent 15 minutes scrolling facebook he would be devastated mm -hmm. he would be gutted by what he saw mm -hmm. because again he would see people looking for god and looking for life in all the wrong places mm -hmm. of course today you know we don't see idols on the street it's much more subtle but we can equally have idols idols of money idols of a job idols of relationship idols of possession idols of fame we can have idols that we think if that we kind of worship those things we think those are the things that will really bring the answer to the deepest longings of my heart and there's there's nothing wrong with having a good job or having a great relationship or or having things there's nothing wrong with those things but if we think those things are going to satisfy us deep down, then we're going to be disappointed. Paul would have been gutted about this because he knew that everybody's looking for life, but in the wrong place. Everyone's searching for God, but are they searching in the right place? And so this matters. And, and I, I want to suggest to you, like, if we're going to take this everyone everywhere call seriously, the first thing that needs to happen is we need to feel something. Yeah. We need to feel like, wow, this matters. Like, I really care about this. Like, I, I, I want people to know Jesus. You know, maybe the problem is for me and for you is that we're more consumed by fear than we're consumed by compassion. We're more worried about what people are going to think of us than what they will discover the possibility in Jesus. Mm. The first thing we see in this story is you've got to feel something. But what happens next for Paul is once he feels something, he knows he's got to do something mm. because that feeling pushes him into action. He's got to do something. Mm. A good friend of mine called Mark Ritchie. Uh, back in 2011, he's watching the news. And uh, you may remember in, in November 2011, there were riots that were happening all over the country in Wolverhampton, in Birmingham, in other places. And, and what happened to Mark as he was watching this is he started to feel the heartbreak of God for people who were hurting, angry, disappointed, excluded, so many emotions. And it hit him so hard, he literally got off the chair and he fell on his face on the floor and he wept and he sobbed because he felt something of the compassion of God for lost people. And that feeling drove him to do something. And so in 2012, he, he literally walked uh, the length and breadth from north to south and east to west. He did this tour over many, many months, walking the whole length of the country up and down and, and from one side to the other called cross, uh, cross purposes. And, 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 he, and he basically every day walking, carrying a cross with him, telling as many people as he could about Jesus. And then in the evening, speaking at churches, he spoke to our church. Uh, he, we, we were part of that tour. And the point is, he felt something. And what he felt caused him to do something. I've got to do something about the fact that people are lost and they're struggling and they're out without hope. Mm. And, and that's what happens for Paul. He feels like, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And, and so he does. And that doing something is rooted thirdly in, in a conviction that 
the reason that I'm doing something is I believe something. I actually believe that Jesus really, really is the good news. Mm -hmm. I actually believe that if I tell people about Jesus, if I introduce people to him, then their lives will be changed. Mm -hmm. I really believe that Jesus can save people, that Jesus can rescue people, that Jesus can heal people. He can forgive people. He can restore people. He can set them free from addictions. He can pull them out of poverty. He can help them get jobs. He can transform their lives both now and for all eternity. I have a deep conviction. I believe that Jesus is the best news ever. Amen. I think that the challenge for us, again, if we're honest, is, is sometimes we say that God is good news, but we live like he's okay news. Mm -hmm. We live like he's average news. We live like he is private news mm -hmm. and he is news not to be shared. But Paul found this impossible. Like he had to do stuff for Jesus and speak about Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about these days that we're living in with COVID today. Like everyone's looking for the cure. We want to hear the cure. Like imagine if you discovered the cure for COVID with 100% guaranteed results. You would not keep quiet about that, friends. Right. You would tell everyone about it. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't allow fear to, to, to stop you worrying that people think you're fake news, that you're not the real deal, that it's some kind of conspiracy. You would feel, you would want everyone to know. Well, we believe, it's our conviction, that Jesus isn't just the cure to COVID. He is the cure to death itself. No. That Jesus has, has come through his life, death and resurrection. He has defeated death and everything that smells like death is like death in our world, in our relationships, in our finances, mm -hmm. in, in every single part where we feel there's darkness and death and even ultimately physical death. Jesus has defeated it. He has the power to change it. He can really save us. Like the song that we just sung, the darkness trembles at the sound of his name. That mm. we have this deep conviction. Mm. And so we see in Paul that he feels something and that feeling of something causes him to do something. And the reason he does something is because he believes something mm. that Jesus can really save people. And when we have those those things, when we've got those things in place, then we shouldn't be surprised if opportunities will come for us to talk to people about Jesus. When we feel it, want to do something, we have a belief about it. And that brings us to the fourth, the penultimate point I want to make, that then we have to say something. Mm -hmm. We have to say something. Yes, we want to be practical in our faith. We want to do whatever we can to see the wholeness and the well-being of God impact every part of people's lives. Yeah. We want to do that. We're committed to pull, help people get out of debt. We're committed to help people get jobs. We're committed to help people find homes. We're committed to see relationships restored. But we believe that ultimately Jesus has the power that we need to fully set us free yeah. into the life that we have. We've got to tell people about him we need to say something and as a result of what Paul does he gets this amazing opportunity to speak at a place called the Areopagus the Areopagus was the kind of the center of learning it was the, it was the place of the ruling council sometimes called Mars Hill right in the center and so he gets to speak to the most learned the academics about this God and I want you to notice like what he says Verse 22 and verse 23 of Acts 7, he says this, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. But this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. 
Now, I want you to think about this. Remember what I said. Paul is heartbroken. Like he's seeing that they're looking for God in all the wrong places. But he doesn't launch in with condemnation. He doesn't launch in with judgment. He doesn't jump into this turn or burn thing. No, no, he doesn't do that at all. Do you know why? Because that never really works. People, we don't connect with people at a condemnation and a judgment level. He right. leads with love. He leads with listening. He leads with grace. He leads with kindness. He leads with a heart to learn. He leads wanting to connect. And essentially what he says is amazing. He says, you know, I've looked around your city and guess what, guys? You're on the right track. You, you know that there's more to life than we can see, feel or touch. Clearly, you're religious, you're superstitious, you're spiritual. You are searching for something. And the good news is the thing that you're really searching for can be found. The God that you think is unknown can be known. And more than that, he wants to be known. He wants to be known. And so then Paul gets into this preach. You can read it later in verse 24 to 28. But in summary, he says four things. He says, number one, this God, this unknown God, uh, he is the creator. Mm -hmm. He said he's bigger and better than you can possibly imagine. He is the God of all gods. He's the real true God that you need to know. The second thing he said would be mind blowing to them. He said, this God, you think you've got to serve all these gods? You've got to sacrifice for all these gods? He says, you need to know that this God actually serves you first. Mm -hmm. He gives to you first. You could not even exist without him. You have life and breath in this very moment because that's God's, this God's gift to you. He's the God that gives. Thirdly, he is the God that loves. This God, Paul says, is not distant and disinterested. He is powerful and he's present and he is personal. And, and he uses this, this little uh, metaphor. He hijacks a Greek poet and he says, we are his offspring. He says, this God is like a perfect father who wants to take care of his kids. Like for these guys, like mind blown. The gods are distant. But, but Paul is saying, no, this God loves us with a passion and will do everything he can to save us. And that's this fourth point. He says this God longs for us. He wants us to know him. The primary purpose, Paul is saying, is of our existence is to know this God who lovingly created us, mm -hmm. to be in relationship with him. Amazing, amazing truth. And, and, and like, if this is new to you, th these words, I believe, are true today. The God who created us, the God who gives and serves us but ultimately even giving his life for us so that we could live with him for all eternity. The God who loves us and the God who longs. Do you know, God is longing for a relationship with you. He is longing for a relationship with you. Like there's something that God is so passionate about, which is to have that relationship restored. Yeah. I'm nearly done. We need to feel something that will cause us to do something. We do something because we believe something. And because we believe something, we have to say something. And finally, and this is the toughest thing of all sometimes, we then have to ask something. That there are moments when we have to say to people, like I'm going to be saying in a moment, that maybe today's the day that you need to respond. Because, because Paul then... This is the only bit it gets a bit provocative because at the end, if you if you look at the end, the final few verses, he says to these guys, he says, look, you're looking for God in all these places. You're looking at all these idols. But I'm just going to be honest. They, they're not going to work for you. You're not going to find love uh, life in all of those places. Uh, one of the most provocative things that Jesus said is no one. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to Father God except through me. And people say, well, that's really exclusive. It's not. Jesus is being honest. He's saying no one else is coming for you. Mm -hmm. No one else is coming for you. No one else is going to save you. He alone is the God who wants to save you. And, 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 and he invites 
Paul invites these people to do something really hard, and it's, it's hard for all of us today, to change their mind, mm -hmm. to change their mind, to give up their self-salvation project, to, to, to come to a bold, courageous, humble decision mm -hmm. to recognize that maybe they've made some bad choices and, and that they can't save themselves, and money won't save them, and relationships won't save them, that so much in the world is unreliable. And, and to turn away from those things and to turn to God, to change their mind and basically say, God, I want you to save me. I want you to love me. I want you to hold me. I want you to guide me and to give God the pole position, the central place, the throne, whatever metaphor, the boss, the leader, the number one position in our lives to change our mind and take ourselves out of the driving seat and put God in the driving seat of our lives. And, and we are still invited today to make that decision. And, and to take that provocative thing a bit further, as I start to close now, Paul says, and, and like, don't take too long about this decision. Like this decision is really, really important because he says, look, there's gonna come a day when you'll see God face to face and we will all be judged by God in that moment. And, and we think, oh, I don't like the sound of a God who judges. But listen, this is what God's judgment, this is the best definition of God's judgment I ever heard. God's judgment is life on your terms. God's judgment is God will give you what you want. So if you want life with God, if you choose today life with God, that's what God will give you. And he'll give you it for all eternity. But if you choose life without God, if you don't want God, well, God will honor your choices. And that's what he'll give you, life without God. But if God is love and light and joy and comfort and strength, then you are saying, and I'm saying, I want life without those things. And that, my friends, both here and maybe after, sounds like hell to me. Why would we want that? So Paul is saying, decide, choose today to follow Jesus. And so what happens at the end of this story is that some people follow Jesus and become followers of Jesus. Most don't, but some do. Yeah. And the very, very first church in Athens is established. If you are a follower of Jesus today, and as for me as a follower of Jesus, I am praying, God, I need to feel something. Mm -hmm. I need to care passionately that people may be looking for God in all the wrong places. And out of that, I need to do something to see the wholeness of God break out in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I do something because I need to believe something with greater conviction. And out of that belief, I need to say something. And I need to have the courage from time to time to ask someone mm -hmm. something. Is today your day to respond to Jesus? Let me close with this story. A good friend of mine, Phil, some of you know Phil, and uh, he, years ago, he went to Paris with his, with his wife and son, and, and uh, they went up the Eiffel Tower, and they were right at the top of the Eiffel Tower, and they were looking over Paris, and uh, Phil's son, Ben, turned to him and went, Daddy, where's the Eiffel Tower gone? <laughs> and Phil looked at his son, and he went, you're standing on it. It's all around you, Ben. It's with you in this moment. If you've not yet said a hello to Jesus, if you've not invited Jesus, if you're wondering, God, where are you? Right now, I want to say you are standing on God. Yeah. You exist because of God. You are breathing because of God. Yeah. He is desperate to be close. He is closer than anyone has ever been to you. And from the moment you were in your mother's womb, he has been longing, calling, nudging, doing everything he can to be restored into relationship with you. And he's demonstrated that by breaking into human history, dying an agonizing death on the cross, 
defeating death by rising from the dead three days later and offering you life, life with God, having his peace and hope and comfort and what we need to get through the storms of this life, this side of eternity and the promise of no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, no more struggle on the other side of death when we will live with him forever, life with God forever in new creation. That is the great promise. It's worth speaking about. So listen, you've been very gracious as you've listened to me. I, I'm, I'm hoping and praying for those of us who are followers of Jesus that God will be stirring something up in us mm. to say yes to him. But for those of you who have not yet said a yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that like right now. Do it right now. You still may have loads and loads of questions, but I want to invite you to change your mind and, and say, OK, God, if you're really there, I reach out to you. Mm. I reach out to you in this moment. Thank you that you love me, that you created me, that you died for me and that you rose for me. I am sorry that I tried to live my life without you. I invite you to be in pole position in my life. Show me how to live the best life I can live and forgive me for all of my failures and brokenness. Give me a brand new start today mm. and help me, help me to live the rest of my life for you with you in the center, with your power at work in me. That's all it means to be a follower of Jesus. People, we say, thank you, God. And I'm sorry, but I'm not all I should be. Help me, heal me, restore me.